Magnus Oudtheel. Mm-hmm. Dat klopt. <lacht> maar gerookt vlees houdt zich lang, zeggen ze dus. Ik ben benieuwd. Rob. Yeah, it's kind of weird, huh? Usually we uh, we talk in Dutch and um, Dutch especially uh, fucking, uh, fucking our, dialect, su- man. our southern dialect. <laughs> and uh, now we have to talk in English because uh, Theo, uh, Theo need, we want to make it known to the world what Theo's <laughs> message is, obviously. So. <laughs> ah, this was probably the shortest podca- podcast ever, no? I mean, my message is like, uh, see you tomorrow, bye. Oh, uh, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I like Google it, bitch. It's all on Google. <laughs> oh, the, the insult starts early, so that's that's cool. Hey, but Theo, uh, obviously we've known each other for uh, I don't know, uh, twenty five years. years. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. yeah. Because um, as people might know, uh, Theo approached us at a very early stage when we uh, got to know each other at a show in the Oefenbanker for in uh, in Landgraaf in Holland, and said, "Hey, um, I'm." I really like your band. I might be interested in releasing something. Why did you come by and uh, and uh, and come have a talk? And we said, well, wh- where do we come by? And that's where I want to start this talk. And that is um, how we actually got to know Theo is when he uh, had his stall with CDs and records at shows. But um, that all came from the fact that Theo owned a record store, The Noise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Theo, yeah. how did you how did you how did you get involved in in doing the record store, and how did you get involved in in hard music at all? Uh, good question. Um, I don't know. I had this house together with my ex-wife, and we transformed it. It was like an old house. We made a beautiful apartment upstairs, and then the downstairs room. I wanted to rent it to some company shop or or office or whatever. And then my lawyer said, like, oh, you better don't because you get a lot of shit with people not paying rent and this and that. And then I was like, oh, fuck, now I got this room here. What the hell am I going to do with it? And in the very same time, I stopped my career in the restaurant business. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to start a store on my own. And then I looked in the village. What didn't exist at that moment, it was like a music store. So I started the music store and the rest is history. So you just, just like that. So, wait, just like you, that. Ju- so you, <laughs> just started a, you just started the music shop, like a record shop, just because yep. there was nothing else. No, I mean, that was the only shop which wasn't already represented in the village. So I thought like, why the hell start something where I have already competition to start with? Better find a, a, a market where there's no competition in the village. So that's why I choose music, not just because of that, also because I'm into music and whatever. So, yeah, just out of the blue like that. It was decided in, I don't know, two seconds, maybe three. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, yeah that, that's, that sounds a bit like you. I, uh, that's so, me, 100%. So if, there's, if there would have not been a hardware store in the village, you might have, you might have done a hardware store. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I like that shit too. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> 
yeah, I never, I never knew that uh, that was the origin of the decision. But uh, so, how did you get involved in uh, in uh, in harder and underground music? I know from your stories that back in the day you used to hang out in the same places we used to hang out in our old uh, town in Harlem. But since you're a couple of years older than us, you were a generation before us. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I never got really into hard music before the music store simply because until i was uh, until until hold on when did we open up 95 till 95 i worked in the restaurant business as a chef and i worked like like non-stop like seven days in a week six days in a week but all the weekends so i never had the chance to go to any concerts or whatever so i wasn't even really aware about alternative music the other music than in the in the in the, in the pop music uh, right so yeah. uh, that's how i started the music store and then at some point i started to collect releases from local bands from the south of holland one of those bands was a, a black metal band called bifrost from a village near maastricht meersen Mm-hmm. And I called that guy, I said, hey, I read here, you just had a new uh, CD out, I'm interested to have some in my store. So he said, yeah, yeah, no problem, come and pick it up. So I went to his house, and that was actually the first warehouse of Hammerheart Records. Mm. You know, that metal label from the south of Holland. The death black metal label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was just in his, you know, in his house, you know, not even a, a warehouse or whatever, just his house where he lived with his parents or something. And then I saw this huge stairway in the hall, and I was on both sides of each uh, stair was like this pile of CDs. It's like, what the fuck? It's, she said, yeah, well, we're doing this, this, this distribution, this label, this and then, blah, blah, blah. That's how we got to talk. And then, you know, at some point we decided that uh, I would took a bunch of his CDs in consignment for my store. Uh, that's how I got with the, the black and death metal section in the store. And then at some point, uh, while I continued transforming the house, um, they at some point they decided to rent a space at my house to make the warehouse. So the corporation got closer and closer, and then all of a sudden our store turned into a hard alternative music. You know, all the pop music flew out, and we just focused on metal and later on hardcore when i got in touch with lost and found and good life and janet and rpp and all those labels from from mm. the benelux and germany you know we, we that's actually something i got from from hammerheart as well they drove like every two weeks to dortmund to century media to the the warehouse and just picked up the cds <clears throat> and i was used to buying them from the dutch distributor and paying insane prices you know Mm-hmm. And then I was like, hold on a second, I could do that too. If I'm on the road to Dortmund, if I continue two hours more and I'm in Hanover at the Lost and Found Warehouse, and I'll just buy my shit there. And I same to Good Life and all those others. And that's how it grew. And at some point I started to go to concerts, you know, with the distro. Uh, and then later on to festivals like the Doer Festival and the, the, the Dynamo Open Air. The last few I did there was a huge stall. You remember that because we did it on, on uh, after the tour was called this live. You guys joined me in the stand even. You helped me out selling and everything. You and Shay and... Yeah, I, I guess know. we did. Yeah. You, yeah. And also you had Rimshot playing in the stand, didn't you? 
No, that was that was a couple of years before. No, that oh. that was actually uh, when I still had like the normal store. Those guys came into the shop, and at some point they wanted to put out a CD, so I made that for him. But I had no clue what the fuck I was doing. You know, he just went to a, a pressing plant and ordered some CDs, and that was it. And they they played at the the, the stand from uh, from Bullet, that famous record old ex famous record store from Eindhoven. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but they were so fucking wasted. They just fell off the, the fucking table. Yeah, fucking sorry, yeah. They, they, oh, man, that, was, <laughs> that was embarrassing. So that was the end of that. Uh, but, but but that was your first release, right? The yeah, but that was, that was actually pre, pre, pre the label period. Because I opened the store in 95. I think that Rimshot CD was 97 or something. Then I started doing tours in 98. Um... And then the actual label only started in 2000, you know, with the Immortality CD from you guys. And then later on, Reclaiming the Crown that very same year. Because Immortality was not even me. I mean, it was in the end, it was Carl. And, and with, yeah, yeah, with it, was on, it was on Contrition Records yeah. first. In, uh, was Maybe, it in 98 yeah. or 99? 99, right? Yeah. Right before we left on tour with Coldest Life, yeah. Yeah, and then Carl, I don't know if Carl said he didn't want to reprint it anymore or repress it anymore. Or you asked him just to, if you could start doing it, because he moved. He moved to. Uh, he was about to move to Holland anyways to join us. No, that was a bit later. Maybe I don't later, know. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter, man. It's all details. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we can argue like two hours about it. You said one, but who cares? Uh, it's not arguing, but um, yeah. So, so Born for Pain's Immortality mini CD was your first release on. Yeah. Uh, back then, it was called Gangstyle Records. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. How did you? How in the hell did you come up yeah, with can that? Can we skip this one? Maybe we do the next <laughs> one. <laughs> hey, that's the one. That's, that's the thing where I could say, like, just Google it. It's on Google. Who, who, who drew the logo? I want to know who drew the logo. Uh, we had several logos. The very first one, the no, stupid you had one. You had one with a, with a guy with sunglasses with a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a guy from the village who did that. I don't know. Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, there was a lot of bad things in the beginning. You have to learn. You live and learn, right? Yeah, no, true, true, true. You know, and so, I'm, I'm somebody, you know, whatever I do, um, I do think about stuff, you know. I mean, it's not like I do decisions out of the blue, but how long can you think about something? You know, at some point, you just got to do it. And that's not always good, but sometimes you make little mistakes, you know. But then, again, you live and learn, you change, you know, nothing is written in concrete, so who gives a fuck, you know. Yeah, no, I, I understand. At least, um, at least you, uh, at least afterwards you changed it into GSR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is basically the same thing because it's still gangstar records, but <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's okay. No, it's good. It's uh, let's say it's uh, charming. History. It's it's a it's a hint to the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. Hey, um, but. I wanted to go even a little bit further back because I think you got into, uh, maybe we can't call it alternative alternative, but you got you you were first uh, into the whole wave and gothic scene or no? Maybe not gothic, but the, no, not the, the gothic wave scene, that, right? Gothic didn't even exist back then. No, that was like in the in the fifties. You mean? <laughs> yeah, keep on going. Like, this is really going to be the shortest podcast ever if you go on like this. No, but listen, <laughs> no, no, but. Um, I think that was like in the late, no, mid seventies. I think mid, no, no, late late seventies, early eighties. 
I got into uh, actually when I was at the hotel school in Heerlen, the, the mm -hmm. town where you come from, we had um, there were like this this alternative clubs. Um, what's her name again? Femina, Femina. and and, and the bar the Klinker. Yeah, and that's where I used to go, and they they you know that's where I got in touch with with. Uh, I'm not saying like the, the the real punk rock as we know it now. But you know, bands like Sex Pistols and stuff—that was like like the usual shit there, you know. And I was into yeah, that it. was a, that was an early form of punk rock, you could say. Yeah yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like you know, the punk rock, not the underground punk rock, the punk rock which hit like the 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 sub whatever, the sub popular or whatever, you know. So, um, and with that, of course, all the wave, gothic, as far as I know, didn't even exist back then. Um, but I was really into that kind of stuff. And then later on, when I moved to Belgium, uh, there was this club in that village where I lived, where they played a lot of that wave stuff, you know, and a bit of industrial and all that shit. And that's what I really liked, you know. But like I said, it, I, the music was, was very important to me. But imagine this, you work six months in a year, seven days a week, around 12 to 14 hours per day, in an open kitchen, meaning that your kitchen is directly in contact with the restaurant. So you always got to pay attention to what music, what you play, you know, mm -hmm. it can be too hard. So I never got time to get deeper into it. That's only when I started the record store and start, you know, meeting other people, going to festivals and this and that, where I actually discovered the more alternative, the more underground side of the, the whole music business, for which I had no, honestly, no fucking clue that it even existed, you know, so. Mm -hmm. There you go. So you basically spent um, a lot of your younger years in the kitchen, huh? In the in the restaurant business. Yeah, yeah, you know me. I mean, when I do something, whether it's the kitchen in a restaurant as an apprentice or later on as a chef, or I do merch for a band now, I do it. I dare to say I do it 150 percent. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if I work in the kitchen, I want to be there like nonstop. You know, get that shit going, just like I do the merch now. If I do the merch for a band, you never see me watching a band. You never even see me fucking backstage to eat. I mean, I'll do my merch. I'm at the stand, you know, that's that's me. And that's how I, you know, that's how with, with that I missed all that shit around it. I didn't, never had time, you know. That last restaurant I worked in Belgium, we had two seasons, the summer season and the winter season with a bit of snow. And that meant three times in a, uh, three months in the summer, four months in the winter, working just from nine in the morning till one two three o'clock at night seven mm -hmm. days a week making a shitload of money too but <laughs> <laughs> so where where did you where did you have your uh, your restaurant in belgium at the uh, barak de Frature. it's the well there's a bit of a discussion going on whether it's the highest point or the second highest point that you got the barak de Frature and the barak michel and they're both uh, i don't know like 300 whatever meters above the the sea level but um see me the like, ice point of belgium yeah yeah, yeah 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 but you know that was like you know this this little touristic corner which uh you know where you could have two summer seasons you know we had a camping there we had a little hotel with seven rooms we had a bar we had a restaurant big terrace outside it's kind of cool you know good days a lot of hard working mm. a lot of shit going on too but <laughs> so so what what made you what made you Quit doing that eventually. Well, um, I worked there for 
because uh, at some point I quit school, I quit everything. I just went down to Belgium, started working there, making money, um, having a good time. Um, and everything was cool. Everything was nice. And then at some point, my ex-wife and I, we decided that we, no, we got the opportunity to buy the whole property there. So the camping, the restaurant, the hotel, the whole thing. Um, and that was a shitload of money, man. And we had, I mean, we did have some money, but not that much. Mm. And then there was this guy at the bar who came every year a couple of times with this huge American camper wagon. And he said, oh, dude, if you ever want to start a business, come talk to me. So it's like, you know what? I'll just go there. I go talk to him. So I needed uh, the money, which was around uh, a million builders, like 500,000 euros or something. Mm -hmm. So I went to him and said, look, I got the opportunity to buy this thing. Uh, I would need to, well, let's say it in euros, 500,000 euros. Oh, that's okay, he said. And that's how he bought it. <laughs> <laughs> really? I never knew this story. Yeah. So and I was kind of, you know, I was all right. So we got everything settled with the bank, with him and this and that. And, you know, and then at some point we were the owners of that whole thing. And that was tough times because, you know, all of a sudden you have a lot of obligations. And then at some point, my ex-wife and me, we kind of, you know, grew apart. And then one day out of the blue, she said, like, look, either you choose me and you come with me back to Holland or you stay here all alone. I said, well, um, I would love to come back with you to Holland, but let me call the bank. I don't think this is possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I stayed. And then, you know, we both worked like really, really hard, a lot of hours and everything. And then when she left, I had to hire two other people to, you know, to to, to make work. up for her hours, you know, for her work. And um, that took like, I don't know, another year, year and a half. And then I was at the bottom financially. I was about to go bankrupt, man. That, was, that wasn't cool no more because I didn't have that money. We had everything financed in a very tight way, you know. And that's where, uh, where things went, uh, went down, the sh down shit, like really, really bad. And then that guy who loaned me that, money he kind of saved me saved his own money if you will and we made a different construction and the business went on but after a year i i couldn't no more because it wasn't this you know i was i was not i was working like 365 days a, a year non-stop from early in the morning to late at night and at some point you just can't no more um especially if if if, if there's there's only a lot of negative shit going on, you know, like you can't keep up with paying your bills. You got stress all the time. At some point I was, imagine this, like having a camping and a, and a hotel with guests where your fucking electricity gets cut, cut off because you don't, you didn't pay the bill. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, that's, it's, it's not good for a hotel. No, 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 that's, that's bad shit. And at some point I just couldn't no more. So, um, they found some other guy who worked for them to keep that thing running. I stayed there for another three months to, you know, to, to help them out, to, you know, put everything in the correct way in their hands. And then uh, I left. And we soon after that, my father died. And 
I worked in a restaurant down south in, in, in Holland, you know, Kerkrade, mm-hmm. uh, near the, right, whatever, I don't know. I, anyway, so. What? Near the what? <laughs> near the, near the, what's that called again? That, that thingy there, Bleierhey. Um, what, Rolduk? No, that, that weird building next to the main road, that old oh. mine, whatever. Oh, whatever. Schacht, Schacht Nulland. Yeah, it could be, could be. Anyway, yeah. so. The Dominial. Yes, that's the one. I, yeah. I did that for not even 12 months. And then I, I got in a huge fight with the owner there. And I just told him to fuck off. And I went home and stopped working there. And that's when I decided at some point, like, that's the moment where that room downstairs got ready. And it was like, you know what? I'll just work for my own again, you know, because that's the thing. If you are independent, if you are self-employed for a couple of years and you go back working for a boss, that's 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 hard that's yeah it's hard, hard. yeah it's like it's like you 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 let a, an animal out in the wild and then you have to domesticate him again that well, usually doesn't work yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could say it like that but so, did yeah, you never did you never have the thing when you when you had to, the house in uh, what was it in bake right yeah when you had the house there and you you had a a, a commercial space downstairs did you never think i'm going to open my own small restaurant here or something no, 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 because at some point I was sick and tired of the whole fucking <coughs> uh, restaurant business for the simple reason when I when I started as an apprentice and now I'm talking, uh, I was like 14 or 15, so that's like late yeah. 70s. You, this was an old school thing, you know, you worked with a chef in the kitchen and if you didn't do it right, you got kicked under your ass and you know, you work with this, 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 this passion, this love for the, for the, for the, you know, like, like being a real cook and whatever, you know. Um, but um, by the time I stopped, it was like '93 or '94, I think. Everything was changed, you know. If you if you wanted to hire people to work for you in a restaurant they worked like eight hours a day they needed like every two hours their break they needed like this and i was like i'm not even gonna fucking think about this you know how 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 the hell am i gonna do this you know you can't you can't make any money like this plus my wife wasn't into it of course because i i I, it crossed my mind but and then the investment i mean building a house and and or, or or transforming a house uh with an office space or or a store space is one thing but making a fucking kitchen and everything in there, that's yeah. a different story. You're talking about 15, 20, 25, 30,000 euros, you know? Yeah. And you still have to open the door, you know what yeah. I mean? So, mm-hmm. plus then also in that period of time, a lot of um, rules changed in the whole restaurant business. Um, now I'm all for hygiene and, and, and safe working and all that shit, but you never should exaggerate, you know. Uh, give you a stupid example. If you make a nice pan of soup, just leave the soup alone for two days or three days and only then it gets like really good, you know. The mm. taste gets really well, all the product is like nicely mixed in. But with those new rules, after two days you have to throw away the soup. Just to give you a stupid example. And mm. that's something I would never commit myself. I, I wouldn't be able to commit myself to that. So that's why I... I, I, you know, we thought about it. I thought about it like a brief second and, and then I just forget about the whole idea. Plus also I was kind of sick of fucking drunk people, you know, telling the same story over and over and over again, which actually now happens every now and then too. And 
<laughs> I was going to say, I think you you might encounter a couple of drunk people doing merch, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, now if it happens on the stand, I just can turn around. Oh, I got to sort out these shirts, and I'm you know done. Conversation finished. You know, but if you're working at a bar, you can't do that because then you might as well close the bar right away. So, <laughs> no, but uh, no, I, I just quit like that. I mean, it was like you know, that's that's me. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. 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 So um. So basically, you went from being a cook to okay. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. Let's open a record store. Um. Mm. I got a thing with music, and then you started, like you said before, you started discovering this whole underground yeah. metal scene, yeah. uh, hardcore scene, and uh, pretty quickly because you said I think you said you re- uh, you said it's pre-label, but let's say that's the first CD you ever put out, which is factually fact. That is the Rimshot CD, yeah. and uh, which is a local band, and um, that was what did you say, '97? I think so. Yeah, '97. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then in '98, you already do your first tour. Or was that 99? No, no. My first my, my tour tour is a big word. The first things I organized was also for Rimshot to get them going. We did some weekends with uh, with Kickback, uh, with Rimshot and, and Determined. Uh, no, what was that name again? Determined from Master, yeah. you know, the band yeah. from uh, from Owen and, and, and Rich. Owen and Rimshot, yeah. yeah. Which, which you backfire, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was those were actually my my first like serious you know like calling a venue. I got this package here. You want to put it up? This and that, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, etc. etc. And that that was kind of fun, you know. I mean, being on the road with those guys, uh, you know, making some money on the side, you know, with merchandise, uh, CDs, and all that shit. Um, and then at some point, uh, I think it was Dave from Right Direction. Who asked me to help him out with organizing the Rabies Festival, which was in '98 in Maastricht? Yeah, and that was actually the beginning of of a whole different uh, segment in, in 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 the business I was doing. Because with that, I had uh, I think we uh, yeah, it was with Twenty Five to Life. It was Dynamo Open Air '98. I had my stand there. Rick was playing there with his band. And then, oh, I want to join. We had the posters up for that rabies festival, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I want to play there too. I want to play there too, blah, 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 this and that. And I was like, look, dude, uh, okay by me. But, you know, we don't have the budget to, oh, no, no, no. I'll pay for free and this and that. Or I'll make some shows afterwards to cover the expenses and blah, blah, blah. I said, all right, let's do it, you know. So Dave and I agreed and we, we took 25 to live on the bill. That's how I organized my first tour, actually, which was... 25 to life backfire right direction. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and, and Awkward yeah. Thought. Awkward Thought joined us for a couple of shows too because they were over there as well for the festival. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was doing that tour, I got a call from the drummer from Blood for Blood. So, oh, you're doing the 25 to life tour. We're going to come to Europe as well and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, said, uh, and you know, we were all into Blood for Blood back in the days, you know. I mean, that, that, mm-hmm. that Spit My Last Breath is still a, an awesome record. Um, I said, all right, I'll, let me see what I can do. So then I quickly organized that Blood for Blood tour for 14 days. I took Archangel with me on the road with them as well. And then it just started, you know. I mean, after that, we booked uh, the Coldest Life tour with you guys. Mm-hmm. Then I had this horrible, horrible, horrible 
eight-week tour with, uh, which was supposed to be <laughs> all-out war and blood for blood, but which yeah. ended up in like only two original members from all-out war and first part with Etan Concrete, I think, for two weeks, and then Stigmata with only one original. Me- oh, I, I, let's not even go there. Let's let's move fast forward to two thousand. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, it's it's already pretty. The longest tour I ever been in Europe is seven weeks. Well, I didn't even do the whole tour because I had to get an operation. But the the, the longest tour Bomb Pains ever been booked on was the Terror Trapped Under Eyes Stick yeah. to Your Guns tour, and that was seven weeks. And we already thought this might be a bit of a stretch. So, and then years before that, you did a a Nightliner tour with those bands for eight fucking weeks. Did yeah. you actually? That you you guys had a lot of shows canceled too. I think. As I no, remember, the thing right? the thing was the thing was the tour actually came pretty good together at some point like like really well i was like you mean before, you mean before the tour booking it, yeah, right? yeah before so, well, while i was booking but that's why it was eight weeks in the end because i got like shows from all over europe you know from the czech republic to the uk from spain to to finland and everything in between i was like wow when was it in 99 99 yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i mean 99 blood for blood all at war that yeah was big, that was big tour yeah, don't forget, All Out War came the year before they did that tour with Congress, which was quite, you know, they had a good name going on, good vibe going on. Blood for Blood had a good vibe going on. So booking was like really, really easy. Mm. Um, but then it started, you know, that in the very last moment, like, I think like, it's when we came back with the Coldest Life tour from that last show in Spain before they played the Dynamo, I got the phone call from Buddha from Blood for Blood saying like, oh, so, sorry, dude, but uh, we can't make it. And so like two two days or three days before the two had to start, the whole band, which was actually, as it turned out afterwards, like the main band, the main reason for most of the promoters to book that package, they canceled. So that was the first problem. And then the day that uh, All at War had to arrive, at the airport in Amsterdam, they called me from the airport in New York saying like, look, you got to change three tickets, you know, because back in the days I bought a ticket, send them over there, you know, with FedEx, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you got to change three names on a ticket. Say, why? What's going on? Yeah, well, you got some changes here, this and then. I was like, oh, fuck, you know, the nightlight is already standing there. So let's do it quickly before, you know, and they ended up with just Eric and Terrace being the original members and all the rest was like grabbed together, you know. Mm. Mike wasn't there, Mike Score, uh, uh, the drummer and that big guitar player back in the days wasn't there. And that's also when it started to fall apart, the whole tour, you know, like most promoters canceled because there was no blood for blood, there was this, there was that. And then mm. I remember at some point we had seven shows in the UK and Scotland and we arrived in whatever town i don't even know the name anymore they didn't even call me or send me an email or whatever there was just this note on the door like sorry guys show's canceled (laughs) (laughs) before we went to we did a couple of shows in france and then we had to move on in 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 spain with uh i think six shows and when we left bordeaux to go in the direction of uh i think it was santander or something i got a call from this guy who set up the shows in in spain he said like look uh five out of six shows are cancelled i was like what the fuck is this 
<laughs> so we went straight. The only show that was still going on was Barcelona. So we went straight to, to Barcelona and took us a camping spot with a nightliner there on some camping on the beach. And we stayed for like fucking five days on the beach, played bocce <laughs> ball. And that was it, you know. Um, Might as well yeah, make so the best out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was the thing, you know. What, I had no other choice, you know. What I actually should have done, saying it 22 years later, is the moment I got the call from Buddha saying that blood for blood, I should have cancelled everything, everything. Yeah. That would have been a quick, painful thing for like 10 minutes and everybody would have forgotten about it, you know. Now I came back home after eight weeks and... I took a day off, then I made a calculation. I stopped calculating when I was at 25,000 euros loss. Oh, my so God. I, 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 I can continue counting. It only gets more, you know. So, <laughs> so I stopped counting, <clears throat> went to the bank, sold the house, sold the store, sold everything. And that's how I saved my ass, you know. But that was, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a weird, uh, weird tour. So for all the people that think that they lost some money at shows sometimes and they they have a problem when they lost their 700 euros, <laughs> listen to this story. <laughs> this is the man who sold his house and his store <laughs> just to, just you to know, get out of and, a loss for a and tour. The, the thing is, that a couple of months before, I think it was yeah March 99, a week after that whole shit with Richie Backfire happened, we had the first European Arco party, which was actually, uh, you know, Given the circumstances, a very special one, sad one in a way, but strictly business, it was a very successful one. It was sold out in 10 days and, you know, everything was cool. Mm. Um, but when that happened with, after that tour, I was like ready to give up, you know, it's like, what the fuck am I doing? You know what I mean? Wait, uh, th th was, was the first European hardcore party, I, I don't remember myself correctly, was it before the tour or after yeah, the tour? it was before the tour. So, so uh, in March, March 99, we had the first European hardcore yeah. party. Um uh, and in 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 uh, well from May on I was on the road first with Coldest Live, then with Ola War and and, yeah. and and Stigmata, whatever. So I was ready to give up after that shit, man. I was like and then Ono, you know, my my partner in crime for the European hardcore parties, he kinda motivated me to keep on going. And that's how we did the second European hardcore party in November or October, October. 99 which was again a huge success that was uh, in maastricht then no 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 that was still, was still in eindhoven still in, oh no the maastricht that's another story yeah my, my 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 brain uh my brain doesn't work well when it's past 15 years so <laughs> uh, my brain works very well when I either lose a lot of money or make a lot of money so don't worry about it <laughs> 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 no, uh, but, always either one of them in your case so <laughs> but uh, no no so we did we did the second european hardcore party and 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 that's when i thought like you know i i built this up in in, in a very short time you know from from 95 till 99 that's four years time yeah. i would be fucking crazy not giving it a second chance you know so uh we moved on with the online well yeah the the mail order distro you know wasn't really an online store back then, but, uh, and then, uh, yeah, 2000, we did another European hockey party in March. And then I started the label. I talked with you guys for immortality, did the split with Fulco press and crawl space. Then the full length, first full length from Born for Pain, reclaiming the crown. 
you know, and the rest is history. Now we are at the GSR 100 and whatever the fuck, I don't know, 130 or something. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk a bit a bit more about about the label and how we went on in a minute, but um you so you were already saying <clears throat> you were doing the European hardcore parties uh after the first one, like you just said, it was first the Colors Live tour, then the All of War tour. Um the Colors Live tour. Uh how did you how did you how do you get in touch with those guys? Well, I hate to bring up his name again on this fucking podcast, but I got a oh, Rick alive. From, from Rick alive. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, I got a CD from him, and and I was you know blown away by that by that band. I mean, I I loved, for instance, Kickback. You know the rawness from Kickback. Um, but this this called this live CD like like actually yeah no this I mean yeah it almost sound make 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 kickback sound like pussies you know what I mean it's yeah. it's I with all due respect for kickback don't get me wrong but that that was so so intense so and I was like fuck we should do something about it with this and then I talked with a few people you know and they were all like oh yeah I called this live this and that blah 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 yeah you got this whole this whole uh, aura around him this whole impact around him this whole whole mystic thing around you know with a murdered singer and with the this and the that and the, the, the like the, the 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 streets from detroit and whatever so i was like all right you know and then i got in touch with uh with douglas you know their manager back in the days yeah dougie yeah and the tour was set up in no time i paid the plane tickets and then they came and i picked them up at the airport and i was like oops <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that was the first. That was the first. Uh, that was the first born from pain tour. Actually, I mean, we did weekends and shit like that, and we done a week or something. But how long was that tour? Was it five weeks or something? Or four? No, 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 no. no. Uh, Thirty April till summer, the end of May. So let's say like three, three and a half weeks or something. Yeah, something like that. And uh, yeah, because I remember then the first show was. In Erika, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> was it, I was remember it, uh, that was, was up in the east, eastern part of, of Holland. And I just remember at that show, it was it, it was crazy. I know we 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 drove up and um but obviously we 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 just knew about Colors Life what you knew. Uh great C D, very raw, you know, the 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 whole mythos and the cult around the band kind of you know um had a had a, had a always had a cult following since the demo and um now we're we're doing a tour with this band and we're like we didn't know what to expect either so but it was funny because it turned out to be the nicest guys obviously the uh by the uh very quickly but the first impression was kind of crazy because i remember uh, we played a show um and it was it was kind of it was the audience was not really like an an underground hardcore hardcore audience it was more like people that wanted there were hardcore people that were metal people but there was also a lot of people that just wanted to see uh that wanted to be entertained as i remember right yeah. like like yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of uh it was in a village somewhere yeah. and uh or a small town and i remember <laughs> that johnny hate uh rest his soul he um he he already he was I think he was completely drugged out when they went on stage, and he didn't he didn't know he couldn't play the songs very well at that point, and uh, 
Mike, the bassist, he had he had already. I think they, they all had already warned him. Hey, when you go on stage, you better make sure it's good. And I just remember that uh, he was falling into everything on stage, and then Mike kicked him, and there was this little fence in front of the stage or on the stage. It was a real weird stage, and he bumped into it, and he bumped right back. And when he bumped back, he already lost his his his. Uh, how do you call it? He 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 was already out of. He he didn't know what was happening physically. And then Jeff just cracked him in the head with the microphone real hard, and he just he just fucking went out for a second on stage. And uh, but I also remember he just got up, plugged his guitar back in, and just continued playing. It was really bizarre. Yeah. I remember at the end of the night because uh, that was at a time that we were still like dancing hard. I remember the locals didn't like it, and we got into a fight, and everybody got into a fight. The police came, and it was a real crazy night. I remember that. Yeah, it was. It sure was. That was the first day of the tour, and I yeah. had a, a singer and a bass player beating up the guitar player during the set on the stage. I was like, oh my God, there's another four weeks to come. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's what we all thought. We were like, oh shit. So everything, everything is actually true. So yeah. there's going to be, let's, let's see, you know, like we were like, I don't know, what were we? We were, uh, I mean, I was, I was 27, but the rest of the band was like, I don't know, 21, 20. 19 and everybody was like what the fuck do we get into <laughs> <You know? laughs> well they definitely put the heart into hardcore but that nah, they, they, they turned out to be the, the 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 nicest guys and uh we 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 stayed in touch ever since i mean the last time we played detroit we went out uh for a drink a doggy came we went out with a drink with roy and some other people it was no it was great like uh Got a lot of love in Detroit, but the uh, yeah, but that was that was that was that was a crazy tour. But I remember at the end of that tour, didn't we also have like in Spain like half of the shows cancelled or something? Nah, we got we got um, uh, we had four shows in Spain, and it turned out that we only played the one in Madrid and the one in uh, Vienna. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And then also, we, had we this... only we only had two shows cancelled. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was always a third show tour. Somewhere up north in, in Santander or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, no. But I definitely remember Madrid because that's where we, where I uh, had to park the van somewhere else. And we had these sidebars on the vans. And I just kicked every fucking car, which was double parked on that street because I couldn't even pass with the van no more. So. And then, yeah, that was, yeah, that was this weird show as well. So, and then we had that shit ass long drive back home because i had to hurry up to be back in time for the dynamo because those guys were opening the dynamo in 99 remember yeah on that uh, on that uh, uh, skate stage or whatever that's where freddie madball actually beat up the security right because they were like too close to the stage or something or no, I, no, I remember no i remember no, I, I, as i remember it it was uh i didn't really know those guys back then i don't think you did either huh like uh, uh we just <laughs> they were playing and security wanted someone they knew off stage. Oh and yeah. He yeah, said, yeah, yeah. No, 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 this is this is a friend. He's staying on stage. And what I think it was, uh, I don't know, uh, someone. And uh, the security just got very mouthy with him. And uh, yeah. and then he just he just lost it and just kicked the guy off the little stairs. And that was yeah, that. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, obviously they want to they weren't going to choke madball off the off the fucking stage because we were just about to play but yeah. i remember that one was that the one also where uh marauder played yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, had, I had i had on that dynamo i had uh four bands i had coldest life uh and on the same day i had uh marauder 
which also played in the set from Marauder a couple of El Nino songs. Yeah, there like was a band that had drummer Dave Shafari had. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. I was in touch with Dave from Propane. It's again another story. But anyway, he asked me at some <laughs> point, "Ah, oh, look, we got this new record with uh, uh, with El Nino. Can you help us out with a few shows?" Uh, I said, "Look, nobody knows El Nino here right now. I, I don't think it's going to work. But if you could come with Marauder, because you know, it was like partly the same people." Yeah, it was can, it, it was George from Marauder, right? Yeah, yeah, and, I can and Dave you. Shivari. And I can hook you. And Anthony was playing in, in both, I think. Oh, uh, it was just Sopo was different, uh, uh, you know, not in, in, in El Nino and, and another guy, but whatever. So, uh, and then I managed them to hook them up with actually with the Dynamo show. And the day after the Dynamo or the Sunday after the Dynamo, because Dynamo was only Thursday, Friday and Saturday, I think. Uh, and Sunday we had that big festival in Antwerp, remember? Yeah. Where, where, where all those bands played as well. Um, then I was lucky that Ethan Concrete was in Europe for a two-week tour, but they had no shows booked somehow. Yeah, they had so a I, lot of shows cancelled, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I took those guys, so I had Ethan on the stage there, and I had, uh, of course, the All Out War, and actually Blood for Blood, but then, you know, Ethan played instead of Blood, whatever, I don't know. But altogether, I had four bands on the fucking Dynamo stage, yeah, that was, you know, that was my beginning of the tour career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try that nowadays to get four bands on one stage on on one festival. <laughs> you, re, you, you 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 remember you remember uh, you remember Rick played in uh, in Rick the Lives basketball top. <laughs> don't don't get me started. On <laughs> Whatever you know. It was fucking crazy. I love it, but uh, I, that that whole day was that was that weird spot where they did Dynamo. I did that at yeah. it was a, 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 a landfill, right? A, la no, a landfill. A, yeah, a, that, a that, yeah, what a dropped garbage here. Yeah. yeah, a garbage dump. Next to it, a garbage dump. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, not a garbage dump. How people, you know, it, you didn't play on top of the garbage, but it was. It, well, you actually did, but there was earth yeah. over, right? I already yeah, 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 yeah. it up. That's what but it was. The smell was still there. Yeah, the smell was still there. It was gross. <laughs> that was the worst Very. location. Wasn't that the same one where uh, where Metallica said they would play and then they just uh, had the screen on? Where Metallica presented their record on a screen uh, instead uh, of playing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember that. I don't know. Yeah, I remember that. Because <laughs> we, I, I, I was only there for like uh, two days, the Friday and, or the Thursday and the Friday or the Friday, whatever. Only two days, because then I had to move on with all our war. We did that Antwerp show. We did a show in Rennes, the, one of the first Super Bowls of hardcore back then. So I, I didn't see the... I mean, from Dynamo, I only saw the skate stage for like two days, and that was it, you know. So uh, I don't know what it was. It, it just sucked. The whole thing around sucked, because, you know, like that smell, first of all. Second of all, all the infrastructure around the thingy was like fucking little village roads and everything. There was a lot of stress going on for us to get our stand there, for the bands to get there with the Nightliner and this and that. So, Was that the last Dynamo? That was the last three-day Dynamo. The year after that and the year... And so in 2000, 2001, there was like this one-day edition somewhere up north in Holland. And that was it. That was the end of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, didn't they do that in Nijmegen, I think? In the Gofford Park or something? The first one they did in, uh, in uh, Lichtenvoorde. Near where the 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 the, the beer festival, it's a Zwarte Cross, uh, near that that area. <laughs> beer festival. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, there's I mean. a lot of beer there. That's true. 
And then the second one, they did a Nijmegen, not on the Rofford bar, but some other spell. But that, that wasn't, that wasn't not Dynamo anyway. I mean, come on, if you have 95, 96, 97, those Dynamos, 98 even, and that old skate uh, ice, ice park in Eindhoven, those were like the real editions, you know, I mean, but all the others were after that were like, because yeah, I remember I, in the, what you say in the, in the in the outdoor skating rink. That's where Dynamo was at before '95, and I, yeah, I yeah. remember going to Dynamo in in '88 or '87, and it was. I remember going to the first Dynamo. It was still at the parking behind the Dynamo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw um, uh, Testament that just yeah. released a Legacy, and yeah. they got them over for an exclusive show. I remember that, and that uh, the, they played with Striper and Destruction. It was a, it was a really crazy show, yeah. and. Um, I was very, very, I must have been very young. I was like 17 or something, maybe mm. 16. I don't know. And after that, it went to, I don't think they could get the license anymore for doing it in town. Uh, I can really imagine because it was a huge mess. And I think then they moved to the skate rink. And that's where yeah. I saw, that's why I saw uh, exits and stuff like that on Dynamo. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was. Uh, after that, it was the airport, the old airport in Eindhoven. Yeah. And then when they started transforming that into the new airport as it is now, they couldn't go there. And that's how they went to the to that garbage dump. And that's actually yeah. the end of it, you know. I mean, that's, that's you know. Yeah. Yeah, because those, yeah. those, those dynamos at the airport were, that's why dynamos are legendary. Those oh. were insane. Like, I never <laughs> saw crowds insane. like that anymore. Not even at Wacken, I see crowds like that. <laughs> It's like 120,000 people or something. Crazy. I, I, re I remember the news in 95 when they, I wasn't, I didn't even have my record store back then, let alone that I was in, in, in that whole scene thing. But I remember the news back in the day, like, like peeping, people were like fucking camping on the highway in between the, <laughs> in between the highway lanes. <laughs> that was yeah, because, because the traffic wasn't just moving anymore. It's just not no, no, moving no. anymore. No, they yeah. were putting up their tents near somewhere near, you know, approximately <laughs> five to 10 kilometers away from the festival ground, just on the highway, you know, <laughs> yeah, insane. Yeah, those were crazy days. You would never see that again. No, but no. Um, let's move on a little bit. You So you just already said that's when you started the label at some point in 2000. Um, yeah, so you continued a little bit on the name Gangster Records. Then you said, okay, this is uh, th that name is not ideal. So I'm just cutting it short to GSR Music. Um, and the main, the main reason for that was at some point, you know, back in the days it was like, I'm not saying easy, but still a lot more uh, easier as it is now, you know, to make promotion, to get all your, your e-signs and fanzines and stuff like that. And because we were gang-style records, we always got that label from, ah, oh, this is like another hip-hop label, which was not true at all. So people didn't even check <laughs> on music, they just threw it on the side, like, oh, this is another hip-hop label, we can't use it in our, our hardcore or metal magazine or whatever, you know. So that's how I came to change the name, because it didn't make any sense anymore, you know. Anymore? I don't think it ever made much sense. Hey, whatever, you know. <laughs> That's the reason I But did. whatever, it is what it is. Hey, but so you started doing uh, 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 GSR, and um, yeah, you went on with a while, and then you said, uh, then we started working together on GSR, right? I mean, yes. you still obviously owe the label, never owed anything in the label, but um, we're, 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 uh, let, let's say um, we were trying to uh, get band signed together. Mm. And uh, we did that for a while. Um, so, uh, in in the meantime, you have moved away from uh, from where you had. To, well, you already said it. You 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 sold the house and you sold uh, you sold the store. 
that was part of the house. So uh, now you basically go into a whole new era of what you're doing. So maybe you know that. So you let's say after after GSR zero zero three, which is reclaiming a crown. What 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 happens then? Well, what happens then is that I sold everything in in, in big. I went on to an office in Eindhoven. Later on, I went back to office at home, you know, just to save some money and stuff. The whole problem with the label was that we actually started like, I would say like five years too late. Because we started at the moment where CD sales are already were going down slowly, but still going down, you know. Um, if I, if I look in the history of my sales, I see the first albums I put out, like Reclaiming the Crown, for instance, and a few others, they make in a very easy way, relatively seen large numbers. Um, a couple of years later, you make even better albums with a bigger reach as far as band, but also as label. And you still sell less albums, and that's where it, I, actually the CD sales, CD sales are going down. Um, that means that I, you know, it has been a struggle from the beginning on, and that's the reason also at some point that I'm, I think it was after 2012, so 12 years later than the beginning, that I kind of slowed down because it didn't make any sense anymore. You know, uh, a band where you used to sell let's say 5,000 CDs from 12 years later, you sell hardly 500 CDs. And not because the band is worse. No, the band is a lot bigger, you know, but mm -hmm. it's just because of no more CD sales. So the whole business structure kind of didn't work anymore, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, you know, why I kind of slowed down at some point, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because I think in uh, around 2000 or 2001 or something, that was also when that uh, that whole uh, Metallica versus Napster thing started happening. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, basically yeah, yeah. saying uh, Napster was actually the first big streaming service, yeah. uh, it being at that point illegal, but the first mm. streaming service that started to actually jeopardize uh the the money coming into labels yeah. and, and, and to bands. And that's that that only got worse. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, I, rem I, mean, I remember. I remember. I was thinking the other day. You know, um, I remember getting an email from you at some point, and not just from you. Later on, also from other bands, like, "Oh, there's this dude in Russia who's who's spreading our music for free and this and that and blah blah blah." You got to do something about it. And I remember the first time I got those emails from my bands, I was like on top of it and sending emails, and then it disappeared. But for every time something disappeared like that fucking 25 new came came back you know that's <laughs> yeah. just how it was you know so and i was that was mainly in russia and south america and asia they were just putting out that music for free for everybody you didn't need any complicated computer program or whatever you just clicked on the link and you played the music you know yeah um or downloaded it in zip files yeah yeah, yeah or download whatever you know so that's that yeah it kind of ruined everything i remember at some point um while we talk about sales in general, on my first European hardcore party in Eindhoven in '99, <coughs> I had this 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 album from I think it was uh, um, fuck what's that band again from Boston. Uh, I said, "Do do or die." Um, Punk Rock Murphys. 
Yeah, Dog Day Murphys. We sold like 150 copies, and that was just because I had 150 copies with me in like two hours' time. Um, three years later, I'm in a similar situation on a bigger festival with 250 Dropkick Murphy CDs with me, brand new, which just came out in that very same week, and we only sold like 25, you know? And that's where I noticed already that CD sales were going down like really, 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 really fast. And the, the big mistake I made was keep on going with the label in the old business structure, you know, like, ah, giving advances to bands or pay, paying studios and all that shit. And that's, that's, that's okay. But if you pay a studio, you pay, a, in our terms, huge advance. Uh, at some point, you're around somewhere between eight and 12,000 euros investment before you start selling the first CD. Mm. And, and that's okay when you sell like four or 5,000 CDs, but if you only sell like 1,000 or, or 1,500, you're losing fucking your pants even before you start, you know? So, and, and I, I went on in the old system way too long. I should have stopped that right away in, in 2004, mm. 2005, you know? Because the signs were there, but I thought like, ah, it won't last, it will go on, this and that, but it didn't, you know? It didn't, yeah. so... Yeah, especially when you, you know, like, I mean, it only, like you said, it only got worse with, uh, I mean, for some people, obviously, <clears throat> it's obviously also that whole discussion, uh, is it actually bad or is it, is it not bad? Well, yeah, if you sit at home and you want to stream something and uh, you don't have a lot of money, then obviously it's good for you. But what people don't realize is like um, labels work hard try to promote a band bands want to be promoted well so what do you do you 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 buy adverts in in, in magazines at least back in those days um you 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 try to get them on those cds that sometimes were with the magazines you, you try to make posters stickers you do all kinds of stuff and then the band themselves they put if 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 the the label didn't pay for the studio which you did in some uh, uh in in a couple of occasions but if if you didn't then you as a band had to pay for the studio Studio. you had to maybe uh, get someone to do the layout for you if you couldn't do it yourself uh, you invest in instruments you invest in everything and obviously you also do that for the love of it to a certain extent but not like you said to lose your pants doing it you know i mean no. there's 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 the love of something but it's gotta it's gotta it's gotta stay honest and what right. i never got about that was listen we're living in a completely different situation now but especially in those days and the days that lead up to how it is now because now we all got the opportunity as bands to do stuff maybe in a in a different way too and maybe a cheaper way in some uh, in some uh, in some regards but back then i never understood why because sometimes you you even got uh you even got blamed for saying hey this is not cool that everybody's downloading this you know people yeah. are like oh what the fuck you know that's not hardcore well you know what's <laughs> not hardcore. I had about that oh yeah, well, it's, it's not hardcore if you if you <laughs> If you don't want to support a band that puts a lot of money and stuff, and you just say, "Okay, I'm just getting this for free from the net," fuck you. And then mm -hmm. the and you know, like, and then there's all. I mean, at least if you come and buy merch, that's cool. But like, you know, it's 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 still not it's still not something that is that is really okay in my eyes. You know, like. No, the and, fact is, the fact is very simple. Back in the days when there was no such thing as uh, official streaming uh, 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 sites, like, like you got Spotify and all those others right now. Back then, and I still keep on saying this, and a lot of people will hate me for it, it was just plain stealing. 
you were stealing. No, no it, it was. No, you, you were stealing. Mm. You were stealing. And a lot of people, oh, no, but this and that, it's on the internet, it's for free, whatever. No, it's stealing. Um, but I stopped making, doing this discussion with people because it, it made absolutely no sense. And, um, you know, it, it, but at some point, really, this, this on one side, on the other side, I had the bad luck of a couple of bands where you put an album out and then right after the album comes out, you, they stop uh, playing or performing or whatever, or they just quit the band altogether. Mm. Uh, I was like, what the fuck am I doing, man? I mean, I'm investing all this time, all this money, yeah. and, and, you know, you get nothing back, you know? Uh, not even the respect of, of, like, you know, respecting a contract or whatever, you know? Um, and I know it's artistic, and, and, and if you're not into it anymore, or if you have other problems, which which kills your artistic move, and uh, you know all that shit, you know. Okay, I understand, but at, at the end of the day, it's my money going down the drain. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, at some point, it was just enough. So mm. I, I, you know, I mean, it was fun and everything, and I had a good time, and I never regret anything. But uh, it's 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 complicated. It's complicated. And nowadays, honestly, especially in those days, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, nowadays, honestly, I, I, I you know, I, I think, and I mean this with the most respect to anybody. I think labels from our level, you know, everything which is under Century Media, Nuclear Blast, and all those big boys. Labels are obsolete. Our, our sort of labels are just there to help out lazy people. You know, financing somebody else's hobby who's too too stupid to use the, the, the all the possibilities there are nowadays through the internet, through new ways of, of, of working with your music or whatever, or, or make make your, your band grow. You know, it's it's no the I, I I'm not saying I'm stopping the label. That's bullshit. But but not at all anymore. How it was before. Forget about it. It's done. It's yeah. It's but, uh, but uh, so how did this was the next next question? So how did how did the label transform? Because I mean I know, but like let let's because you stop doing actually new bands with uh, that have to go into the studio and etc. Well, so how did you transform the label now? Um. Uh, the label now what i'm doing is 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 putting out older stuff re reissue on vinyl or, or stuff like that you know with bands i like with bands who are still active and bands where it's worth doing it like archangel like length of time like you guys for instance um but you know what he's i mean the from the whole business the core thing he is now is the merchandise mm. is that you know, because that's something you can download for free or because even, you know, the streaming now that everything is official, it's it's a good thing, but it's still very little money. It also has very little expenses. You know, I mean, you don't have to press CDs. You don't have to send out stuff, this and that mm-hmm. goes all a lot easier. But, um, you know, it's 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 um, it also makes the whole music, especially the underground, I think, a lot more uh, uh, how, how should I say it? It, it? it goes a lot faster. It's not good. Ah, oh, forget about it. You know, up to the next one. Uh, oh, that's, you know, that's definitely true. I tw- think. Twenty yeah. years ago, a band made a demo, then maybe a seven-inch, and then you know, after a couple of years, the first album or first CD or whatever, you know, and a band grew. Now you got this new band you find on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, or even on Spotify directly. You listen to a song, ah, oh, it sucks, and that's it. 
you know, mm. where 20 years ago you had to make more effort to get to your music, so you appreciate it in a different way, uh, I think, you know, and then, mm. you know, it, it, and, and nowadays it all, you know, it's, it's all more for the dustbin, more for the garbage somehow. People don't like the first two tunes, ah, forget about it, you know, yeah. skip to the next That's one. Because in the end, in my program, what I got in front of me on my phone or on my computer or whatever, there's like fucking 50 million songs. So why the fuck would I waste my time on if I, if I don't like the first two riffs, you know, or if I don't like the first two tunes, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that, that's uh, that's actually very true, and it's it's sad in a way, obviously, because. Yeah. But that I mean, I, 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 we discussed that in the band too. You know, do you even have to make a full-length CD with twelve mm. songs if you're not like uh, a very mega-established band to some level? Because I think if Metallica does this, Iron Maiden, everybody's going to listen to all twelve songs. But if you're a band that's like not super hype or you're not a band that is like has a very extreme following with whatever that and they definitely listen to everything if you're a younger band now or even a band like us like you know like we we were talking yesterday uh if you write five or six really good songs would that not be enough nowadays you know with streaming services and with you know you could still put it out on vinyl you know uh obviously vinyl is 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 back so i mean it has been for a while but you know like that kind of stuff you know but it's it's but the whole landscape changed like you already said i mean um i don't fully agree with it's just for lazy people when a label puts it out maybe the label also has more knowledge no 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 no. hold on hold on hold on i said our level of labels my level of labels yeah but no but i still i everything everything i do everything i do and everything which is you know let's let's make it very clear Take Sanctuary, take Nuclear Blast. Um, they got fucking 150 people working for them in offices, all doing all kind of jobs, you know. How the hell can you expect a one-man or two-man army doing the same thing? That's impossible, you know. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, personally for me, um, the fun is away because the whole system changed, right? Uh, on top of that, of course, back in the days, it was different. You know, you had to go to a big studio and this and that. Nowadays, you, I hear a lot of good stuff, which is just recorded at home. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, of course. And yeah. so if the label doesn't need to finance no more, um, the whole media landscape, let's not forget that. The whole media, underground media landscape changed as well. I remember when I put out my first, no, my first album's not so much. I still had to build up my, my, my media context. But summer 2005, when we did... Uh, Sands of Time, for instance, from you guys, when we did Ragman, Madball, the EP, all that shit. Because 2005 was for us a, uh, an important year. We, we yeah, Sands of a... Time. Sands of Time was out in 2003. Uh, 2003. Sorry, I'm not talking 2002. Even I think. No, no, 2003. 2003. That's also when we did you guys. We did uh, Ragman. We did Madball. That's where we made with the label a huge step, right? So I had a, a media uh, contact list for like over 400 people just in Europe. Nowadays, from the serious people who give me feedback on my stuff, who actually, uh, let's say, appreciate what I do, it's like 10 in all of Europe. All the rest is, is either doesn't exist no more, doesn't give a flying fuck no more. I don't care if people don't like what I put out. That's a different story. I mean, I'm not going to say like, oh, the media is only cool when they like my stuff. No, that's not true. But a lot of media disappeared, and a lot of media is just today... Nowadays, it's more about pushing their own personal opinion instead of like 
reviewing. I mean, what's the definition of a review? That's telling like what is on there. So now you get this review with like, I don't know, 200 words. And from the 200 words, 180 words are like so-called sarcastic, funny, this and that. They don't take it serious no more, you know? Mm. And in the same time, every time I send out a CD, because they don't want no, 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 uh, uh, how do you call it, uh, online uh, copies, uh, you know, or download codes or whatever, they want to have the real product. So you send out a real product that costs me like four euro to get it from my place to their place. And you don't even <laughs> give you the respect to treat you fucking seriously. Again, they don't have to like it. If they don't like what I put out, that's fine. You know, but at least give me the respect of a serious review and not of some sarcastic personal profiling bullshit story, which doesn't make any sense. You know what I yeah. mean? That's, that's, yeah. I, in 2012, I, I just, I, no, no, not 2012, 2016, I just stopped with the fucking media. I was getting nuts. I was getting nuts. Yeah, I think I think it's a lot different now too. I mean, yeah. how many uh, how many print media <laughs> are there still that put something out regularly, like monthly or, or yeah. like quarterly? Well, I, I, There's I not got, a lot. I, everything everything got, else is basically get, online nowadays. Yeah, well, it's not only that. I, I don't care if they're online or printed. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's that's not the issue. Um, no, I know what you mean, but I'm just serious, saying. Serious people, you got like the Ox in Germany. Those are steady guys. They do it all. They tell you when they don't like it. You know, mm -hmm. but. They treat you with respect. And from the same office, you got the Fuse, you got in England, you got uh, uh, Eugene, with, uh, who used to do Big Cheese and who does now, uh, what's it called, Down for Life. Those are cool magazines, you know? And they, mm -hmm. they appreciate what you're doing. They give something back. You, you put an ad with them, this and that. But I had, in the 2016, that's when I stopped. That's after, after uh, uh, Bluff Lies and Alibis from, from, from Knuckle Dust, I think. Or, or no, not the other one, whatever. Um, Oh no, Songs of Sacrifice. Uh, I got a message, several messages from several media contacts who said like, ah, oh, you want us to do a review, right? So yeah, well, if that would be possible, it would be nice. And if you like it, maybe something like a feature or an interview. Um, yeah, we can do all that, but you have to take an ad. I was like, hold on. This is, this is the world upside down. You know what I mean? This is... Mm. This is this is going nowhere. So, if every time I, I I want my my release to be reviewed, you know, I need to put an ad. I not only have to take five hundred CDs with me to send out. I also have to take like fucking fifty thousand euros to pay all the ads. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's you know that's that that was actually the breaking point where I kind of gave up like all right this is it I'm I'm not even going to bother but, anymore. But isn't this something that uh the big print magazines always used to do basically? No 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 no. I remember I remember uh for instance uh, that was also 2003 2004 2005 we did a lot of we had a very good thing going on with Overcome in France. Um uh, we did a lot of distribution there. We sold a lot of albums in the stores and the chain stores and whatever. Um, they, those magazines, even the big ones, they reviewed your stuff. If they liked it, they got back in touch with you. Ah, let's make a feature or let's make an interview from the band. And that was it. And I was the one asking them for advertisement possibilities, you know, not the other mm. way around. You know, and of course, I know those guys have to live too. They have to make money too. And, you know, but telling you literally like, look, if you want to have your stuff 
to be reviewed, at least you have to take an ad. I'm like, hold on a second. This is this yeah, is ad for a review is, seems a little bit crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I know these I know these stories when we're on Metal Blade from those guys that if you actually in the in the later years, maybe that was all so like when did we do war and 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 love at the end? Those those days, I I remember that. They sometimes said, "Well, yeah, if if we want to get you guys in there, we, you know." But but they always took ads for all their bands. I mean, they released yeah, yeah, yeah. like f- four, had like four releases a month, yeah. so they had a whole different deal going, anyways. But it's it's crazy if you as a as a smaller label have to pay to get your record reviewed. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. That is, that's that my weird. point. That's my yeah. point. That's my point. And that's where I get back to now. It, that's what I mean before with making labels from my level, from, from, from the GSR level, kind of obsolete, everything I could possibly do to promote a band, a band can do a hundred times more better themselves. Because mm. there's this other thing, I, no matter how passionate I am about my bands or the music that put out or whatever, it's never going to be the same thing as the band itself. I can never talk about a record the same way as you guys talk about it. Because you wrote it, because you live this, because you do this, because you play this live, you know, stuff like that. Plus nowadays, what you get, the possibilities you got uh, through through social media, through the internet in general, it's it's there's yeah, no end. There's that, no end. That's true. That that's true. That's true. There's a lot of there's a, that's what I also meant before that times now are different. You already mentioned, you know, you can mm. record a record cheaper. You could track everything at home, and. You could even mix it at home if you're savvy with it, or you send it to a studio uh, yeah. according to their specs, you know, and then just send that out. Um, and also the same goes, indeed, what you just said for, you can promote yourself on the internet and the way that the digital landscape is now, there's so many ways to do it. But yeah. and that's the point I just wanted to make with, I don't always think it's, even on our level, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, if you got a lot of time and you can invest that time, and mm. you you know what you're doing, then yeah, that that is it's definitely true what you're saying. For mm. example, in my case, like I have so many things going on, I could never fully promote a band myself on on the internet the way I think I should be doing it or a label should be doing it. I'm not mm. saying every label does it for all their bands mm. um, as the way they expect it, because obviously this is <laughs> on the lowest level from the lowest labels. The smallest labels to the biggest labels. This mm. is usually, unless you're Metallica or Iron Maiden or fucking Ice T or whoever, there's obviously always the, the biggest discussion point. And Theo, you and I know this all too well. Mm. Uh, the first thing the band asks is how are we going to get promoted? Where, where, yeah. How is this going to go? How, uh, what are yeah. we going to do with that? Obviously, good is it not a problem. But how many times, two months later, a band comes back and says... Yeah, you know, we thought it wasn't, you know, like that hadn't been done enough or whatever. I mean, I've been the band that has asked that, uh, 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 that has asked labels that. And I think when we were working together at G, uh, on GSR, I think every band came back after uh, uh, after two months or three months and said, yeah, so, you know, like we, we felt it wasn't, it, you know, that could have been done more. And although you already know that you've done so much, you know, mm-hmm. um, and with smaller labels, obviously, it's way harder because you still have to pay the same money that yeah. bigger labels have to pay. Mm. Sometimes even more because mm. most of the bigger labels get a get a better deal because they take yeah. ads every month, so they get a yeah. they get a they get a bulk deal, and you don't. So, yeah. um, but the point I'm trying to make is, um, 
sometimes the label does do fully good and sometimes not but the band will always think by themselves they could have been done more and that mm. is because people love their own shit and that's obviously mm. you could say well then maybe do it yourself because then you know one that you d- that you did it the right way if you actually did mm. it the right way mm. or you actually see how hard it sometimes yeah. is you know because like you said you know sometimes you knock on the door the door opens and they say yeah, yeah, no, no, you can get an interview Metal Hammer. I'm just naming something, not specifically aimed mm. at Metal Hammer, but just mm. take them as example. You can have a, you can have an interview Metal Hammer if you pay for an ad of 500 mm. euros on this page. Oh, no, so, it's not 500, it's 5,000, but go on. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, maybe back in the day, I don't think it'll be 5,000 anymore right now. Oh, but um, the thing is, you know, like how sometimes bands also don't see that it's not as easy, but... Hey, uh, t- to cut a long story short, it's, be- it's become definitely way easier now digitally. Um, there's a lot of ways to to do that, but I think there's also a lot of labels that uh, that jump on that and do th- that do do it in a in a in a smart way yeah. and do use all these things. And for me, it's always a good thing to see that a label does that that releases a record of mine because then I'm like, okay, at least. People are see what's going on. They're doing that, but I don't have the time to do that myself. Maybe you know, and mm. that's where I'm saying maybe I'm one of those lazy people, but I just can't. You know, mm. that's and that's why I say I would not release a record myself. Mm. Uh, we 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 tried that once, <laughs> and it went terribly wrong. So mm. uh, and that is also yeah, we dropped the ball. Maybe yeah, but um, we also realized this is way more work than we ever thought it would be. Mm. So that's why. I think also at the end of the at the end of the day, you know, uh, pe- people also people always say, yeah, the label this and that, and the label only wants to do this, and the label only takes the money, and they make all the profit. Well, there is labels that maybe rip you off. If you sign a 360 deal with a label, yeah, you're dumb. Shouldn't be doing that unless you get an advance that sets you up for life. You know, if you get an advance with a band with five people, and you get 20 million. And you already and you, you 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 give your manager a piece and everybody and you 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 got you got your three million, good for you. Then if you're if you're smart, you don't don't ever need to work anymore. And yeah, I would take that maybe too. But anyone else who takes a three sixty deal, you know, like mm. uh, for people who don't know what it is, the label then takes a part of everything, uh, makes money off your merch, off your tour merch, off your records, of everything, your digital sales, everything, everything, everything you do. That's why it's called 360 the whole way around. And back in the day, that never used to, I mean, labels didn't work like that. I know GSR didn't work like that, but we, yeah, label work with contracts. Yeah. But they were always fair both ways, you know, like the label invested a, a bunch of money, Mm. And then you just, what was expected of you, and that's what you just mentioned, the frustration is in, you know, you invest a bunch of money and then you say to the band, okay, but you guys have to play now, you know, mm. so we at least all can make a bit of money back and you guys can get to a certain level, you know, which is also good for you, but you always assume that a band wants to get to a certain level, mm. you know, and well, it's, well, we all know how that went with uh, yeah. with most bands, so... <laughs> No, but that's that's exactly my point. And and you know, no matter how passionate you are, and I, I dare to say for myself that I was, and still am, or for some things, uh, very passionate about all this. But at yeah. some point, it's just the fucking calculation at the end of the year. If you're losing money, you can't go on mm-hmm. in that way. You know what I mean? It's it's oh, just yeah, simple. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, a band, a band can can when you sign a contract and and you know the the big promotion question comes up, you know about ads and stuff like that. All good, but 
I have put literally in 2003, 2004, 2005, up to 2008, monthly ads. And, and I, I was one of the only labels from our level who had actually ads up in, 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 in the big print magazines, you know, whether it was Germany, France or England, mm. whatever. It cost me a fortune. And then instead of 1,000 CDs, you sell 1,100 CDs. That's 100 times 5 euros and 50 cents wholesale. That's 550 euros. How the fuck do you want me to pay 10,000 euros ads with that? You know what I mean? At some point, it's just enough. It, it just doesn't work, you know? And that's one side is because of back in those days, the illegal downloading and all that shit. And then the other side... What we shouldn't forget, with all due respect, hardcore music is kind of limited. Of course know? it is. Of course. It, 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 it's no fucking Madonna. It's no fucking whatever, Justin Bieber or whatever, you know. How many bands actually kind of blew up in the hardcore scene, aside from maybe Hatebreed, you mm -hmm. know, and a few other level, yeah. Hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that means there are certain limits. So limits in, 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 in the potential of what has what will be sold and thus in the potential of what what you know what you can make and what you can invest you know of course mm -hmm. you know and so yeah but whatever you know i mean you know it's just how it is like i said it, 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 it's always done with a lot of pleasure and always with a lot of fun but there has been a lot of frustration as well that i'm honest about that you know i mean because mm -hmm. yeah, i always I always try you know, to give my best and, and to stick to the, to my word, what I promised. But, you know, sometimes it's just fucking hard, you know? So. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so to, 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 uh, to, to round off the, the label talk. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's put an end to that, man. Fuck. No, no, but you, 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 <laughs> what you do now is you release like bands, like, uh, uh, like you said, re-release, like you've done length of time yeah. the last couple of years, you've done kickback, you've done Archangel, yeah. you've done born from pain. Uh, maybe a couple of others, I'm not sure, but, um, uh, but you planning on keeping doing the label, but in that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. In that way, in that way, of course, if tomorrow, you know, like I did with, for instance, the last like new band I did was, was ironed out, mm -hmm. which was just fun to do. And, and I like those guys. I like their music, uh, you know, um, but you know. I'm not saying I'm never going to do anything, but it's not like before, like, oh, I have to have like five or six or seven releases a year when I got to find new bands or this or that. No, 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 no. I don't care. I was talking to Knuckle just a long time ago. Um, you know, they're going to do their new EP in this case. They're going to do it themselves. Well, fine. Good for them, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no problem. I, I don't need that no more. If they would have said that in 2015, I would have gone nuts. You know what I mean? Like, oh, but I need to do that, you know. Like, you oh, go no. nuts? Uh-huh. <laughs> you go nuts? That never happens. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's you know, as it comes and goes, you know. Probably next year we're going to do some stuff with Archangel in length of time because both bands will be there for 25 years. We're talking with them right now to see uh, what we can do there. Um uh, Maybe another re-release for Madball. I don't know. We'll see. And older, like we did Hold It Down. Um, but I'm, I'm, like I said, you know, it's, it's, it's as it comes, as it comes. Mm, yeah. yeah, clear. So we were talking about the European hardcore parties before, right? So, yeah. um, uh, I mean, I can't remember a European hardcore party that sucked. I remember the, 
maybe they did i don't know but then maybe i wasn't there but they were always like well visited yeah i, I don't remember one that even that that wasn't sold out or not at least not a lot of I people uh, the, the thing is we started in eindhoven and yeah. the up, and that was like a limit of a thousand people and then uh, when i did european hacker party number three the one in march uh, 2000 with the chromax well, chromax being harley and, and paris and uh, mm. whatever you know so um that one actually, I knew that the venue in Eindhoven was about to close. So I went, and that venue was like 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 run by the by the local council, the town council. Mm. So I went there and said, "Look, this is my plan. Are we going to be able to do it?" And they were like, uh, "Yes, yes, 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 yes. That's no problem at all. These were the conditions, this and that." So we set it up, and then one week exactly one week before it had to happen they called me like ah we rediscussed it but uh, with security thingies and whatever it's not going to be possible and i was like what the fuck am i going to do now you know because it was sold out another yeah. 1100 tickets or thousand tickets whatever what the hell am i going to do now so i was like panicking you know and um then i called the guy who did who always did the sound at the events i organized and he he kind of uh, put me forward to the Plattezaal in Maastricht because they had a similar situation. They had an event which was cancelled in the last moment as well, but then by the organizer, not by the venue. Um, so I went there and he was like, all right, let's just do it. And that's how we did the first European Hawker Party in Maastricht. And it was a fucking huge success. Uh, not only because I could sell like three or four hundred more tickets, because there was a lot of demands to see the Chromax back then, you mm. know, um, but also because the whole atmosphere, the whole deal with them, because in Eindhoven I had to do a lot of shit myself. I had to put up the stage myself. I had to put up uh, like parts of the bar, and I don't know. It was like this whole stress around it. And in Maastricht, I just entered the venue, opened the door, sold my tickets, or you know, and that was it. And mm. you know money in the bank so that's how we that's how we continued there and they were um, they were they were not all sold out you know but we always had the, the worst i had was the one the worst the 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 least successful let's say it like that what i had was the one where we had uh, stars and stripes slapshot as a headliner that was like uh f five no five was madball uh, like six or seven maybe six six because seven was ignite um, that was the one where we only had like barely a thousand tickets and that venue was like had a 1400 capacity so that wasn't that full but it was still good enough I mean the cool thing about the European hawker parties back in the days was there there was no competition with this formula there were no other people organizing events such as the European mm -hmm. hawker party only later like early 2000s the early zeros, you had Alvaran starting the pressure fest and stuff. You mm. had a few other people because you had some festivals like the Good Life Fest or the Epo Fest in Belgium, for instance, but they were like very limited in, in, in the kind of music and the kind of bands they were booking. We were like booking all over the place, you know, whether it was kickback or discipline or whether it was uh, Congress or, or, or hard sell. It didn't matter for us. European bands. And one American headliner. That was the formula, you know, and no limits mm -hmm. on that. You know, we booked every band what we could book. So um, 
Then when they all of a sudden closed in 2004, that venue, I I couldn't find, we tried, I think, no, that was a Summerfest. We tried it in Tilburg in uh, the 013. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, 013. Eh? Um, which was cool. They helped us out really well, but it's not the same thing. There, there was not the same atmosphere, not the same conditions, not the whatever, you know. So I was like, you know what? Plus all the competition that existed at that moment, you know, from other people doing similar stuff. I was like, you know what? It's been cool. It's been nice. If we can't stick to our formula, then just forget about it, you know. Because I never wanted to do to get bigger. I could have taken it to another level if I wanted to back in the days, you know, like go to the Crockerbow in Eindhoven instead of fifteen hundred people work with like four thousand people. Mm-hmm. But you know, like Martijn is doing now with the with the with the uh, how is it called? Uh, the Sound of Rebellion. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Sound of Revolution. Sounds of Revolution. Oh, so yeah, yeah. 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 And and now with the revolution calling, you know, um, but I never I never had that that ambition. We had a, a beautiful thing going on in Maastricht, and it was good as it was, you know. And if that venue would have wouldn't have closed in two thousand four, I would have gone on, you know. So. So, uh, so what, what what was the last uh, version? Uh, 2003. We did 2003. We did a lot. We did two European hawker parties. We did a two-day summer fest. We did uh, where you guys played when you were on tour with Madball. Uh, we uh, we did uh, the Persistence Tour Maastricht or Resistance Tour back then. You know the second edition with Suicidal mm. and Knuckle Dust and Backfire, Length of Time, Sworn Enemy, Ignite, Madball. Mm. Um, so yeah, we did four big events there that year. So and that was actually after that, and we we booked everything for 2004. Uh, and didn't you? Said, did, yeah, you, but 2004 was in Tilburg, right? No, no, no. 2004 we had in March European Hawker Party 11 planned, but then like three or four weeks before it had to happen, you had to close down the venue because of all kind of financial shit. Um, and there wasn't a new uh, guy there keeping the shit open so we couldn't even go there anymore even mm-hmm. if we wanted to work with someone else you know so i canceled that entirely because i couldn't find nothing uh, uh, in such a short notice nothing who would be able mm-hmm. to 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 do that thing and then the summer fest which we had planned as well oh yeah uh, yeah yeah that was we did that in the end uh, we did that in tilburg but that you know like i said they helped us out really well and i'm i'm eternally grateful that they did because that would have been a disaster to cancel all that shit you know with the book bands paid advances to bands all the tickets you got sold and all that yeah. shit, mm. you know because it's not like you sell a ticket and 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 your expenses start on the first day of the festival no your expenses start like fucking the moment you announce it you know so um no, I'm, I'm like I said. I'm eternally grateful that they helped us out, but it wasn't the same thing. It, 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 I, I tried, but it, it didn't work out the way I wanted. So I was like, "All right, all right. That's it. We, we put it to bed," you know. And that's how we did it. So, what was your your favorite version? Uh, if you had to pick one, uh, the one where I really stood at the end of the night on the balcony with a little stiffy in my pants was the one with the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, definitely edition number seven and number nine, both actually. Number seven with Ignite headlining and number nine with Blood for Blood headlining. We had a 1400 capacity in there. And after a couple of times, I noticed like, you know, nobody 
everybody who buys a ticket, nobody is there in the same time all the time. So you can add some more people. So with Ignite, we had 1,700 people inside. And with Blood for Blood, we had 1,900 people inside. So that was yeah. <laughs> and those was, were, it, was the Blood for Blood one where we played? Uh, I, I think. Did Blood for yeah. Blood come? Did, did you do Blood for Blood twice on that or just once? No, once, once on those, and okay, another yeah, time and, uh, on the summer fest, and yeah. that, that, that that really sucked. I mean, they both sucked in a way because Buddha was fucking wasted. But yeah, I, I remember know. that. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember him lying on his back for the first song because he uh, couldn't yeah. get up. But yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, all right. So, well, you started concentrating doing more, uh, uh, more merch, right? I mean, you you've been doing merch for uh, for paint for a while now. Yeah, you did yeah. you do merch for uh, uh, for Madball since years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the road, but you also do merch for. Uh, I mean, you do merch for for bands as uh, as GSR, right? Uh, no, do I? Uh, no, I see it in your store. So, like, uh, which you do merch for you do merch for board for pain. Yeah, yeah, you produce the merch and sell it and give yeah. us. Yeah, isn't that doing merch for a band? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, no, no. I thought you meant something else. No, I don't, no, no, no. Well, I mean, the thing is, I don't mean you boot like a tail. That's no, not no. what I mean. Ah, that's a different. <laughs> that's a different store. That's a different name. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, I got into merch. Uh, first of all, when I talk, you know, when you were like a bit more involved in the label, at some point we said, I think it was two thousand six or so, that ah, let's do something with merch for the band and everything. Remember? Mm-hmm. So that's when we started with that. And then I remember that um, with Knuckle Dust, I got a, a shows offered or a tour offered in France. Not really a tour, like two weekends with a couple of shows. And they had to replace another band, which canceled last moment. And they asked Knuckle Dust, so they asked me. And I said, like, all right, let's do it. And then those guys were like, yeah, but we're like in financial trouble, this and that. It's going to be hard for us. Like, you know what? I'll take care of everything. Let's just do these shows and see where it ends. And that's what we did. And that's how the first cooperation with the band started. Not only, you know, as, as a label, but also as like doing the tour, uh, taking care of everything, uh, doing the merch. And the merch story in that situation kind of started like they showed up on the... Uh, no, we, we, I talked to them like a few days before it had to start and they had like no merch. I was like, oh, fuck. We're going to do a couple of good shows in France. We should have merch. So I had a shitload of merch for them you know, for the GSR website. So I'll take that with me. I quickly called the guy to help us out with some more designs and more shirts. And I managed to get in a very short notice a nice assortment of merch to sell on shows. And I kind of liked it, you know. So I was like, oh, right, this might be the future. And then, uh, you know, I did this for, for Knuckle Dust and then later on for, for Backfire, for Kickback. Um, and then with you guys, a Mad Bull. And, you know, and then I picked up Dead Before the Zoner and... Uh, cruel hand wisdom in chains yeah and that's it you know i never have the intention to become a new empirical or, or or whatever you know a couple of people i like to work with a couple of touring bands who actually you know make it worth doing it and yeah it's fun yeah yeah well it's fun as long as you don't have to sit next to you in a tour van for eight hours but um other than that you know yeah I mean, you know <laughs> <laughs> well you didn't have to well you didn't have to write the amount of coffee in the morning yeah. um yeah that's important I, so so i mean we're, we're, we're going uh slowly but gradually we're going uh, we're going towards two hours but before i let you go i i, I just want to i just want to know you know like you 
you used to wait. You were born in Holland. Yes. Then uh, you you moved more to the south of Holland. Then you moved to Belgium to the Ardennes. Then you moved back to the south of Holland. Then you moved to Germany. Yeah. And now you're in Romania. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's it. Here, this, this a is lot, it. a lot of people. Maybe a lot. A lot of people would probably think that's a crazy move, Romania. Why? I don't know because I, mostly I see a lot of Romanian people moving here, but I oh. hardly ever see anyone moving. So, here. so that so that means there's a lot of space here. So that's why I came here. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't mean it weird in any way, but you just don't see people going in that direction. I'm pretty sure it must be. Um, well, I know for a fact because I've been to Romania. It must be it must be cheaper life. Yeah, it is. I mean, no, well, I mean, there's there's a couple of things playing there. It's um, uh, at some point I I, I quit my ex. Uh, I met my wife. I'm married to now. She is Romanian. Mm -hmm. She moved with me uh, in Holland. Uh, I think it was 2007 or something. Um, we lived a couple of years in Holland together. Then at some point, uh, I'm, we moved to Germany just because it was cheaper than, because you know that the south of Holland is, is fucking expensive. Unless you want to live in some ghetto area with full of junkies and drugs, criminality, whatever. But otherwise, it's, it's, it's just too expensive, Holland. Yeah, it's true, you know. So, uh, are, you are you talking about the towns where I come from, my friend? Uh, you know what I mean. I mean, I live myself. Don't don't even blame me. I live myself in the fucking Vossekill. You know that. You know the the, oh. the, the biggest. That was the only. That. that was the only true ghetto in here. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I've been there. I've done it, and yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we moved to Germany. At some point, we we wanted to buy something because you know if you pay rent all the time, it, it's cool, but you never build up anything for the future. You know. So uh, I tried something to buy something in Germany because the prices were like significantly uh, cheaper than in Holland. But even with those cheaper prices, I still couldn't get the money because I'm too old, you know. So you can't get a mortgage or with weird conditions or whatever and, or until a certain limit. So we kind of gave up on that idea. And then in 2018, my wife's sister bought a house here. And then I heard the price and I was like, fuck. That's like cheap, you know. Mm. So we went there for Christmas um, to stay for a couple of days. Um, and I saw the house. It was nice and everything. But it's in an area like, you know, like it's almost like an apartment building. You know, everything close together. I was like, oh, wow, no, no, no. I don't want that. Um, but on the way back home, I was like, fuck. Actually, it would be cool to... To have a look into it. You never know, you know? Mm -hmm. So we went back home after Christmas, early January. And, you know, we, we, we forgot a bit about it. And then it came up again. And then I was with you guys at the Graspop. I never forget. And all of a sudden, I get a text from my wife, a WhatsApp message with a link. And that was a link from a house somewhere in a village close to where we live now. And it was a beautiful little house with everything what we needed and only 30,000 euros or 35,000 euros. It's like, fuck, that's a price that's crazy because that, that would mean we could buy it, you know, with a little bit of effort and without a bank. 
because that was my mm-hmm. biggest problem, you know, because of my age, I can't get no more mortgage, like, you know. So, uh, in, in a few months' time... Yeah, hard that, to get a mortgage when you're 87. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, that was in June, and then we planned already a trip to Romania in August, after that Madball tour, and... Um, We made a list with 10 houses, what we found online, which were like looking all right. And mm-hmm. my goal was to find something where we could move in right away without too much work and which would have had the space to build something new in the next couple of years, you know. Um, so we went back to Romania with that list of 10 houses. We went to the first one and it's actually the one where we live now because when I opened the gate, I fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> it had everything what we needed. Plus, the cool thing here is it has three houses on this property, three small houses. Uh, and one of them is like totally renovated. So we could move in without any stress. You know, I didn't yeah. need, to, need to transform or construct or whatever. You know, I could do everything it is. And that's what I'm doing. And we bought this house here for, um, well, a ridiculously cheap price. And I was like, let's do it. And we paid for it. We bought at the same moment, a couple of days later, and uh, yeah, that was it. End of story. Now and then we moved uh, a couple of months later to uh, to Romania. So, yeah. So so when when are you when are you going to start your winery, your your, uh, your your wine company? I won't do that in a commercial way. Don't worry about it. But I actually one of the things I did this year because <laughs> last year we had a, you know, I had a bad start there. I had an accident. You know, or, you know when we. A couple of hours before we had to move, I broke my foot, had to have surgery and all that shit. So the whole moving was postponed for a couple of weeks. Uh, when I got here, finally, I couldn't, you know, couldn't work full 100%. Um, anyway, so last year was kind of lost, but this year I made some uh, some speedy actions here. And now we got a vineyard with uh, 32 Pinot Grigios and six Pinot uh, Negros. Um, I got a nice rose yard. I got I got all kind of stuff. I got my chickens, my dogs, you know. Yeah, Good I've heard fight. you known as the, the wolfman of Barashti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With your pack of dogs. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So, so uh, the the integration in Romania is easy, or do you find it do you find it hard? You know, when you get to the point where I am now. I don't give a fuck about integration, you know. I, I do my thing. Um, what, do you, what do you mean? What is the point you're at now? <laughs> the point where I'm now is got my own property. Um, you know, we don't we don't um, we don't mix up with other people too much or whatever. We keep some distance there, you know, minding our own business. And that's a bit the 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 lifestyle in the villages here in Romania. You know, everybody minds his own business. That doesn't mean that everybody is like mad or or. or there's a crazy it's just you know everybody does a thing you know when everybody leaves each other mm-hmm. alone that's that's just fine that's exactly what i need you know in germany we were very close to several neighbors and that gives a lot of stress at some point it uh, you know whatever so this this is better this is this is how i am i can do whatever the fuck i want nobody gives a fuck and and that's what i need you know just peace quiet calm you know i never was a city man i will never be a city man so here in a village even in the middle of nowhere I can do what I want, you know, I wake up in the morning and then I drink my coffee, smoke my first cigarette and say, okay, what I'm going to do today, you know, aside from the office work and the GSR work, um, I can choose and do whatever I want. 
if I want to work in the garden, I work in the garden. If I want to build a new house, I build a new house. You know what I mean? It's, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's, so. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, that sounds really good. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. Hey, um, Theo, I think we're coming towards the end. We're coming up on an hour and 45 minutes. So How, how about we didn't talk about Corona? You talk with everybody about Corona. No, why would that show me? We don't need to do that again. <laughs> Fuck off. It's, instead, you can, you can tell me. Uh, name your, 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 the, the, the best three GSR releases. Uh, what you're most proud of well or maybe you're proud of or maybe also that you're maybe the not one, proud the of one, but the best ones I don't know no the best ones I don't know man um, the bands I really 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 enjoyed working with uh was of course born from pain being also the first band I, I remember when we were back in the days in the studio with uh, with reclaiming the crown you know that you know that was that was a moment that i will never forget but that was my first full-length release as well so um, yeah, yeah. in the meantime you threw us off the label about five times in the meantime but that's okay yeah, that's okay <laughs> you, you know next year you and i 25 years we're gonna make a nice party don't worry about oh, it oh good with the, the wine that, with the wine that you and with the wine that i made then you're gonna okay. some wine here for sure i'm down i'm down uh, no and other things which i was really happy with to put out was uh, of course kickback because i've always been a kickback fan since the first time i saw that band live mm. um I was proud getting at some point, of course, backfire. And let's not forget it. There was at some point one of the biggest bands in Europe. Um, and then Knuckle Dust. Knuckle Dust has been, uh, I think Knuckle Dust together with Born for Pain has been like these, 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 uh, how do you say that? These lifelines keeping the label going, you know, at some point. Mm. You know what I mean? If you look over the past 21 years, there's always at some point every two years from one of those two bands, something that comes out or that came out, you know? Mm. So, uh, and then those are the two bands where I've worked very intense with, uh, which I also did with other bands, but where I also see there's, it's more than just a business relation, you know, there's also part of a friendship, you know, you mm. know what I mean? It's, it's not just about, about the label or making a deal or whatever, making money. It's also people nice to hang out with. It's a bit similar what I got now with Madball too, you know, all of a sudden, doing your job is much more than just a job it's also fun it's your hobby it's your 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 time you know all the good times you hang out with those bands after a show or whatever on the road it's it's cool you know mm. and that's uh you know what is the best one i mean yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know no surrender no, that's all right. no, no surrender, surrender yeah kickback is, a, is an awesome record which i listen still to a lot uh reclaiming the crown brush lies and alibi some knuckle dust um yeah that's 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 plenty more and of course all those length of times but those are not my releases i mean there's just re-releases you know but yeah, those yeah. are bands i was always in i can say um after 21 years of of gsr as a label aside from having shelburn i put out all the european bands i was really fan of mm. so i think that's that's maybe you thing. should maybe you should talk to heaven shelburn feel Hey, no, now it's too late, man. <laughs> I, I think so, too. Yeah, yeah great band, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, um, if you named the, 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 the three best the, the three best things or the best things to do with GSR, just which are the three things you could have done without release-wise at, uh, at GSR? 
How you mean? Yeah, which which ones you th- if you look back on it now you'd be like ah oh, I wouldn't have minded if I wouldn't have put that out. So basically, I'm asking you what what were the worst experiences or the, uh, the worst records? Oh no, no, I don't think that's cool to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to answer that one. That's no, maybe no, not no. a nice question, but no, it, oh, it, isn't, it isn't. It isn't. It isn't. question. What are what are any what are any? You don't need to name names, but what are any bands where you said ah. If if I wouldn't have done that release for that band, uh, uh, I would have uh, after the fact. I would have totally not minded. Yeah, of course there are. Of course, there's there's there's, there's always um, uh, bands or, or not even bands specifically, but releases from bands where you say like, ah, that one didn't make it exactly as we thought it would be, you know. Um, or the most frustration for me was always, you know, like I said already before is when you put out a band, put a lot of effort in it, a lot of money in it, and then the band said, ah, you know what, let's stop, let's call it a day. And then you're stuck there, you know. Name him and shame him, Theo. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not well, you know, that is, that no, is all of the, that, you, can, you, can, you can hear all about that in the Patreon content, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, I mean, like I said, there's, there's no hard feelings to no one. I mean, and, and I hope the other way around there isn't either, because at the end of the day, you know, it's all fun and games and, and, and you know, regrets, and regrets is just... Huh? It's all fun and games and losing a lot of money. <laughs> uh, you know, regrets don't make sense. It's, it's, it's a waste of emotion. It doesn't make any sense. You know, what's done yeah. is done. And if something goes wrong, you pick up the pieces and you move on, right? Uh, so. you're, right. you're right. You're right. Hey, um, yeah, I think we've come to an end. Yeah. Um, you're, you're amongst my longest talking guests, which I've already expected. Yeah. I, so, talk, I talk very slow. That, that's, that's a big difference, of course. <laughs> you, do you talk slow? I'm not so sure. <laughs> hey, um, but hey, yeah, th- thank you for doing this and thank you for yeah. taking some time out of uh, um, working it, in art, let, doing grapes and building buildings. So. Yeah. Let, it, let it make clear it was the first and the last one. So. Oh shit! You got an exclusive one there. <laughs> no, uh, people I, are I, think, I think if if ever Hoya calls you for his podcast, you'll probably go into. Oh that. no 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 no! I'm done! I'm done! I'm done! I never wanted to do this in the first place, but no, you didn't. It took me a lot of convincing. Yeah, well, you know, several well, people asked in the past. I think there should be a podcast with Theo GSR because you're that illustrious figure that has been around for 25 years, where people at the beginning thought this guy's. A lot older than us, <laughs> and why do it we only, and why do we only see him now? And then everybody is ah, yeah, that's Theo. But still, for a lot of people, it's still like we don't know the story behind this guy. So I think it's it's pretty cool that you've that we've talked about almost everything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah. very happy with it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, man. Thank you for giving me the time. But uh, you know, like I said, it's the first time and the last time. So uh, <laughs> good. Well, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy I got you for that first and last time. Cool. Hey, um, have a good time. And uh, I know you, you know you you're well in Romania. And when uh, actually the the fucking situation gets a little bit better, I'm definitely coming over, even if it's just for a weekend, and uh, we hang out and drink your wine. Do that before we go on the road for the first time again, huh? because otherwise you will never come, of course. No, that, that's, that, that's not you're next true. To me just... again, if you're next to me again for like eight hours in a bus, you're never going to come to Romania. It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to go to the dude voluntarily. <laughs> Fuck him. 
<laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's true. The, the, the one and a half years of not having to sit next to you in a van, that is probably did, did make me want to go more. But yeah, before that's over, I know what you mean. We'll see. Hey, Theo, thank you very much and uh, talk to you soon. Yo, see you soon. Thank you.